Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigSceneDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of sports yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. On October 26th, 1985, Marty McFly hopped into the DeLorean for the first time and got that baby up to 88 miles per hour. Or at least that's what happened in the Back to the Future film, which was released in the U.S. on July 3rd of 1985. This was smack dab in the middle of the decade and probably around the start of training camp for one of the greatest teams in NFL history, the 85 Bears. This week's guest talks about that team and more in his recent book release. And it all revolves the NFL in the 80s. Welcome to the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. Your host is Arnie Chapman. Football is his passion, and he wants you to come along with him to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board his DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. This time, as we step off the DeLorean, the date is July 3rd, 1985, and we are in anywhere USA. We're at the movie theaters. (laughs) And this time, it means a little bit more when we step off the DeLorean, because your host, this happens to be one of his favorite movies of all time. And we're here to watch Back to the Future. Yeah, we have that on the cover of this show. And it's fitting because this week's guest wrote about a book around the NFL in the 1980s, a decade that he felt was better than he could have even imagined before he started digging into it. Kind of like the movies of the 80s. Many of them were a wild ride, molding the industry for years to come. Similar to the same thing that happened in the NFL during this time. We have the strikes and many other events that happened during the 1980s. But we really focus big on those 1980s strikes, don't we? But there was a lot of innovation that went on too just like in the movie industry. And this week's guest is Tommy Phillips. And here's a little bit of a background of Tommy. Tommy A. Phillips is an avid Packers fan from Pittsburgh. He has been to NFL games in six cities and hopes to visit many more in the near future. His first work was Nifty 90s, the stories of an amazing decade in pro football history, focused on the NFL in the 90s. His most recent work is Great 80s, a journey through another exciting decade in pro football history, focusing, of course, on the NFL in the 1980s. And as always, I'll leave links to these books and also his website in the show notes, which you can get to through your podcast player or by heading to thefootballhistorydude.com, which now, of course, takes you over to my page on the Sports History Network, the headquarters for your favorite sports yesteryear. 
This is a network at the very early stages, so if you know of a podcast or other show that you think should be on the network, or you're even looking to start your own history podcast about your favorite sport, team, or league, or maybe make the Sports History Network your home field advantage for your own personal blog, hit us up over on the website at the contact page. But for now, let's dig into the 1980s and the NFL with Tommy Phillips. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I was uh, looking through, I see that you have multiple books, and one of them is 49ers versus Packers. How did you even become a Packers fan to begin with? It's a long story, but basically, uh, I was um, reading old books, and when I was like about 10 years old, and there was these old football books, and I was reading them, and Back then, the Packers have been really bad for a couple of decades. So I kind of felt bad for them. And <laughs> so I eventually chose them as my favorite team. And it, it happened. I started cheering for them right around the time they became really good. So most people would think, oh, I became a fan in 1995, right whenever they became really good. But it was because I felt bad for them. And that was the reason I did. Right. Yeah. Then not too long after that was the the, the Super Bowl win and everything. So it kind of worked out for mm-hmm. you. Yeah. <laughs> me as a Detroit Lions fan, it's almost sacrilege for me to talk to you with that cup in the back. I see that Green Bay Packers cup and some other trucks and things like that. But uh, so you said you started watching them more in like the 90s. And I know that one of your books, of course, the 49ers versus the Packers. The other one was the decade covering the nifty 90s, you called them. But then more recently, you started or you released a book called the great 80s what was the reason for those two decades and what what was the reason why you wanted to write about such a broad topic like that um the the original 90s book came upon me it's really weird but it came in a dream like i had a dream about how good football was back in the 90s and i woke up and i typed into my iphone i was like okay I just had this dream about the 90s and I should write a book about it. And it it was just like an innocent dream. But then all of a sudden it turned into a big project and I put all kinds of work into it. I was like, okay, I'm going to buy all those greatest games DVD sets they have out on, on a, you know, NFL shop. And I started putting through, um, I, I started working on on just like a bare bones type of review of the 90s. And then uh, I started watching games and I was like, okay, I'm going to review the whole games. And then eventually I got into um, doing the whole decade with every single playoff game and the 100 most uh, memorable games. And I put put all that into a book. It took me two years to write it, uh, but it all started from a dream. So yeah, crazy story. <laughs> That's kind of cool. Yeah. You have a dream and then it's like a, an almost like an epiphany. Hey, yeah. I got to write this book because it came to me. Yeah. I mean, you said that it took you almost two years. What is that process like for somebody? Were you an author previously or was that the first time you wrote a book? Oh, that this is the first time I wrote a book. I mean, I had done blog blogging for 
about 10 years, but uh, never anything really big. And I began writing it just as, okay, I'm just going to tell this little story about the 90s. It's going to be really short. Wow, it became almost 300,000 words worth. And <laughs> I, I found myself unable to stop after a while. And then eventually I got that big. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't an author before this. Uh, this is my first journey into it. So there are some things that whenever I did, I think I might have done differently now, but uh, for the most part, I'm pretty happy with what I wrote. Yeah, and you mentioned you were a blog writer for you know ten, some 10-odd ten years, and one of the questions I do ask most of the guests of the show that are authors, if you could have went back to your whenever you started writing this book, right, right after the dream, what advice would you have given yourself now knowing what you know for writing the book? Um, I, I probably would have told myself to not focus on every single little thing, but focus on the big plays because I, I would get, uh, so bogged down in the little plays when it like the, you know, three yard gains and two yard rushes and stuff. And I, I would get so caught up in that when I first started writing that whenever I had to go back and edit it. Um, I, I had to make sure that I told more about the biggest plays. Whenever I was first writing, I was thinking, okay, I'm just going to write every single play that happens. And, um, over time I realized that wasn't feasible and I had to change my way of doing it after that. That's not the first time I've heard this <laughs> on this podcast. Um, I've heard a couple different authors have said, yeah, I wrote the book and it was 900 pages long. And then my wife told me, what are you doing? No one wants to read about every single play in the yeah. game. <laughs> so it's, that seems like a common theme for when people are getting into writing books like that, especially on football, because it's such a, like you, like you covered a decade, the 90s. That's just, there's so much there. I mean, yeah. like, you know, can't even fathom how you would have, categorize that in your mind to put them together and then more recently the the 80s decade you covered that that just came out recently didn't it yeah that came out in april um i i was gonna release it it happened to be on my sister's birthday but then i waited a day i waited a day so that i wouldn't steal her thunder but um yeah uh that one also took two years to write um Although I probably could have finished it sooner. I went, the couple of the other books I wrote, I ended up, I wrote, like, I, I wrote maybe about a quarter of the 80s book, and then I got sidetracked into writing those books. So it probably could have been, I could have done it shorter, but the book ended up almost half a million words that's how many <laughs> i put into it uh yeah it was it, it was just um ended up really long yeah i mean again going over one particular decade for that that's even a half a million words obviously won't cover all the details and minutia at the low level how did you determine the chapters of the book as far as the 80s one goes well the the 90s pretty much gave me a um 
good outline to follow. And basically, I decided I was going to do the 100 most uh, memorable regular season games, which turned into 120 because I couldn't uh, narrow it down enough. And then I did every playoff game. And then I did reviews of each year. And then at the end, I I did, you know, the top 10 quarterbacks, top 10 head coaches, MVPs, etc. And uh, that's how I went about doing it. So, so a, a, a big time, I guess you could say informational, where if someone were to want to read it chunk by chunk, it wouldn't take away from reading the whole book at a time. Right. It's, it's written in such a way that you can, you can read it for like five minutes and then put it down and pick up again. It's that it's, that's the way I envisit it. Like uh, one person I know who bought it said it was a great bathroom book. So, <laughs> so because he would be able to read little chunks of it while he was in the bathroom and then pick it up later and not really miss anything. So that's kind of the way it's written. For me, it'd be uh, in the sauna. I like to read my my hard copy <laughs> books in the sauna because I don't want to take my phone in there. And I think that would be a perfect book for it. So I don't get myself too dehydrated. Uh, I guess let's, let's talk about some of those various chapters or topics. A big thing that comes from the 80s, a lot of times outside looking in, we think about the strikes. I mean, mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about the strikes of the 80s. Yeah, 1982 strike. Uh Teams played two weeks and then players went on strike and ended up missing seven weeks of the season. I think I think it went on for eight weeks, but then they added on one of the weeks that they missed and on tacked it on the end of the season. And as a result, you know, attendance went down and the players really didn't get what they wanted out of it. Not right away, but one of the most unique things about that strike is that the Packers-Bears rivalry, uh, teams didn't even play each other that year thanks to both of their games getting canceled, which means that that the most, so technically the longest running rivalry in the NFL is the Packers and the Lions as the Packers and Bears didn't play that year. So um, that was one of the more interesting things to come out of it. Um, of course, Washington, um, the Redskins ended up only losing one game that year in the regular season, and they went on to win the Super Bowl. So they were the first team since Miami to make it all the way with losing one game or less. Speaking of the the Redskins and having such a good year that year, who were some of the, the better coaches and how did they help progress the game during the 80s? Yeah, well, obviously Joe Gibbs was one of the best coaches because he could win with any quarterback um, he got. And he was able to win with um, Joe Theismann. Um, he, and then in the, in the late 80s, it, it was like uh, musical chairs of quarterbacks. Uh, they were just going going through them left and right, Jay Schrader, Doug Williams, Mark Rippon, um, they were just, uh, it, it didn't matter who was going to be the quarterback, um, Joe Gibbs found a way to win with them. Uh, of course, the most innovative coach was Bill Walsh. He came up with the West Coast offense system, which 
changed things where you know, in the 70s, the idea was throw the ball really long and hope someone came down with it. And Bill Walsh changed that into a thing where it would be a high percentage passing. And he found the perfect quarterback for that in Joe Montana. And he changed the offense into that quick strike thing where they throw the short passes. And you'd see it such as in uh, one game in 1989 where uh, Joe Montana threw a couple of short passes to John Taylor. They both ended up as 90-plus touchdown receptions. So you think a 90-plus touchdown reception and the ball would go far in the air, but neither of those passes were thrown very far. So, yeah, he he was definitely the most um, innovative. And then Tom Flores able to win with uh, Jim Plunkett. as uh, He won two Super Bowls with Jim Plunkett as quarterback. And, you know, Jim Plunkett isn't exactly a Hall of Famer. He's a great quarterback, but uh, not that great. And Flores was able to win with him. And, of course, Bill Parcells and Mike Dicka, both of them had – you know, really good teams in the second half of the 80s, and Parcells eventually won one in, another one in 1990. You said that you were able to watch a lot of the old films from the 80s then? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was. What were some of the games or plays or things like that that kind of stuck in your mind that you're like, whoa, that was awesome? Yeah, uh, my the, the game I ranked as the number one game of the 80s was... Um, the shootout between Dan Marino and Ken O'Brien in 1986. Um, that that was just an unbelievable game. I think the final score was like 51-45, and uh, the Jets won it in overtime. Um, both teams threw for insane number of touchdowns and passes. I, I, can't, I can't count exactly how many there were. Um, Another great one was the Packers and the Redskins in um, 1983, whenever they played Monday Night Football, and um, the game ended on a missed field goal by Mark Mosley, and uh, the Packers won 48-47. Yeah, and and one of the games no one ever talks about, but I thought was a really good game, was one between the Rams and the Vikings in 1989. Um, The Vikings kicked seven field goals in the game, which was tied for the league record. But the Rams somehow came back in the final two minutes of the game to score two touchdowns and the game. And then the Vikings threw up a Hail Mary to set up the seventh field goal. And then it went into overtime and it ends on a block kick for a safety. And, so it was the Vikings won the game by two points. They won 23-21, and not a single one of those 23 points did they score on offense or defense. It was all special teams. So that that's crazy yeah, to think about that. Yeah, that was a one of the most unique games of the decade. And I'm wondering also, you bring up a good point about it ended on a safety in overtime. I wonder how many times that's ever happened in NFL history. Yeah, it's only happened a handful of times. I think that was the first time, actually. I I cannot remember another one. I, I know there was a game-winning safety earlier on in the 80s where um, 
there was a Dallas New Orleans game where one team was up by one and then the other team got a safety and won the game by one point. But I think that was the first overtime safety in league history. I'm not sure though. Yeah, I wouldn't know either. I'd have to go back to check it out. But that's uh, that's pretty interesting. That th- I mean, <laughs> talk about heart wrenching yeah. to be in the stands if you <laughs> see that happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mentioned some of the great quarterbacks are already Joe Montana, Dan Marino. Like, talk about some of the other great quarterbacks of the '80s. Well, uh, John Elway, he was able to win with uh, very little help. Um, a lot of people say Dan Marino, you know, didn't have a very good, uh, and, and it was true. Dan Marino didn't have any running game to work with. Uh, John Elway really didn't even have any, uh, really good receivers to work with. He, he just found a way to win with whoever was in there. And, uh, anytime the team was in a situation where they're trailing late in the fourth quarter, you knew that he was going to bring them back. Of course, Joe Theismann, um, early in the eighties was one of the, one of the best quarterbacks. Um, that was before Montana had really come on. Uh, Theismann was pretty much the best quarterback in the NFC for those first few years. And, uh, Dan Faust doesn't get enough credit with the Chargers because his team never made it to the Super Bowl, but. Um, his numbers that he put up during the eighties were just insane. I mean, they were, uh, those numbers don't look as good now, but he was in the high four thousands of yards, you know, a few seasons. And, uh, he probably sort of won the MVP in 1982, this strike season <laughs> where they gave it to a kicker, Mark Mosley. And I thought Dan Fouts deserved it more. That was the only time in NFL history, I think, that a kicker won the MVP, yeah, too. Yeah, it was. Yeah. The lonely kicker only gets it in a shortened season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned, like, maybe half of the quarterbacks that you talked about were from AFC and the others from the NFC. Mm-hmm. What was the power struggle between the AFC and NFC during the 80s? Yeah, I think the the big difference between the NFC and the AFC is that the NFC had all the best defenses. Uh, of course, Chicago had one of the best defenses ever. Uh, the New York Giants had another really great defense. And um, the 49ers and Redskins also put together uh, some amazing defense. You know, just think of the players, Lawrence Taylor, Mike Singletary, Ronnie Lott, you know, even Dexter Manley. Uh, the AFC didn't really have as as good defense. And, um, you know, the, the coaching was also a lot better in the NFC. Um, certainly, I was just going through the and you know the coaches, and I'm like, you know, most of these coaches uh, come from the NFC, and the AFC really didn't have as much. Uh, you know, Don Sula and Dan Reeves were pretty good, but no one was as consistent as in the NFC. So I guess we like to say, uh, what if? Mm-hmm. Like, what if the coaches would have been the AFC or yada yada? Mm-hmm. What would you say is the biggest what if? that could have changed how we look at football now from the eighties. Well, I, I think it goes back to one, one play that no one ever talks about. Although I did recently see a book where they actually 
uh, brought this up. But in Super Bowl 17, uh, the Dolphins were beating the Redskins by four points. And Joe Pison was back near his own end zone. He threw a pass, and it got batted in the air. And it was about to be intercepted at the two-yard line, and they would have gone in for a touchdown. He bats the Theismann bats down his own pass. The Redskins go on and win. And you wonder if the Dolphins catch that. They go up by 11 points, probably win that game. Maybe they don't draft Dan Marino because they think that they were good enough the way they were. So then maybe Dan Marino doesn't end up in Miami. Maybe he ends up somewhere else. You know, there's so many possibilities. Maybe the Redskins don't turn out to be the dynasty they were. You know, there's just so many things that could have happened. And it was all because of one play where Joe Peisman thought well enough to knock down his own pass and uh, stop the Dolphins from getting a pick six. Yeah, it's funny how moments in games can ultimately change like you said, maybe even the course of an entire franchise or multiple franchises because of if Marino would have been picked or not. We've talked about a lot of great coaches, great players and things. What would you say if I asked you the question, who would be your Mount Rushmore of the 80s? Okay, it has to have Joe Montana and Bill Walsh on it because obviously the 49ers won, you know, four Super Bowls and were such a dominant team. Uh, I I would put a defensive player on there. I'd have to put on uh, Lawrence Taylor of the Giants. Um, He won MVP of the whole league in 1986. And then if I had to pick a fourth person, it would probably have to be John Elway, uh, simply because he was one of the most fun people to watch during the decade, Broncos didn't win any Super Bowls, but they did get the three of them. And uh, he was the only reason why they made it to those three Super Bowls. Without him, there's no way they would have uh, come even close. So, yeah, I'd have to put Elway on there. So it's almost like he overcame yeah. more than the other players had to kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. <laughs> if you were to sum up the 80s and – Tell me why you think it was an important decade for the entire 100 years of the NFL. What would you say? Well, um, whenever it came to football, I thought nothing could have beaten the 90s when it came to football. But whenever I uh, went back and watched the 80s, I saw that the brand of football they played was even more entertaining than it was in the 90s because there was just so many good defensive players back then there there was a level of defense that you don't see anymore and but it wasn't so much i mean you still had the high scoring game uh you still had there was such a good balance and you know the good old saying those who forget history are doomed to repeat it and the uh nfl has to make sure they never go back to having these labor strikes and those problems that they had, which, you know, of course, the 1987 strike where they had the replacement players, and that was just a total disaster. But they rebounded from that, and they haven't had one since. But they have to make sure they never go through that again because of how much 
know, it it hurt at the time. Yeah, that's something that having that could take them back, you know, decades if they were to have to shut down the season and potentially give the opportunity for one of these other leagues that want to become something <clears throat> a chance to kind of pounce on right. it. But uh, the way I see it right now, if they just keep things going, if they can keep the labor agreements together, they probably will remain the top dog yeah. for quite some time. And you mentioned you thought the 90s was just the best football because that's when you grew up mm-hmm. and you watched it and you wrote that first book. Right. But then now you're kind of looking at the 80s. Which which of the two is your favorite decade now? Well, whenever it comes to the results of the decade, I, I definitely pick the 90s because the Packers were really good. I, I liked how it turned out for my team in the 90s. But if I were to be honest, what was the best football I've ever seen it would probably be the 80s, actually. And uh, who knows? Um, I'm starting to go back and watch some of the games of the 70s. Maybe I'll look back and say the 70s are the best when I'm finished looking at that decade. But, yeah, I'd, I'd have to go with the 80s, slightly over the 90s. So is that kind of a little teaser bomb into what your next project's going to be? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I decided that I was – Way back whenever I started working on the 90s book, I decided I was going to make a trilogy. I was going to make 90s, 80s, and 70s in that order. And so I've gone through the first two. Now, I know there's a lot of books out there on the 70s, probably more than any other decade, really. The 70s seem to have the most books. But mine mine is a little different. It's it's more of a play-by-play type of, you know, the little details, that kind of thing. And that's how mine stands is going to stand out once I get through with it, but it may take another two years. So, um, yeah. So that's kind of what I'm working on. Well, in the meantime, we have the nineties and the eighties to listen to or to read. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Let's play a little fun game. Then if you were to take the top five teams from the nineties, in a playoff against the top five teams from the eighties, who do you think will come out on top? Oh uh, boy, that, that would be tough. Um, because I'm thinking about the Cowboys of the nineties and the 49ers of the eighties. I, I, I think the nineties, if the nineties had the Cowboys under Jimmy Johnson and not under Barry Switzer and uh, the 49ers, who had Steve Young and were at the top of their game, probably the 90s teams would come out on top, but it it would be pretty close. Yeah, something that's one of those impossible to really (laughs) tell. I mean, it'd be fun, but the only way we could maybe tell is take some of those players back in time, which is a question I always ask. I'm going to give you the virtual keys to my DeLorean. You can go back to any point in NFL history. It can be part of the 80s if you wish. What moment are you going to go to? You can't change the outcome, though. Okay. Um, boy, that, you know, I'd have to go back to the 1985 Bears. Um, yeah, even though as a Packers fan, I'm not a fan of the Bears at all, but uh, that team was just just one of the most uh, outrageous and amazing teams. One of the teams that got so much focus off the field, almost more than they did on the field. And that team kind of changed football because 
then after that, you had all these other teams trying to do their own Super Bowl supple. And uh, <laughs> because I remember the Steelers doing something like that back when I first got into football in 1995. And, and it, it all came from that Super Bowl supple. You know, you had Jim McMahon wearing the headbands of all these different causes and, and companies, all these things. And, and uh, of course, you had the refrigerator, William Perry, you know, running the ball. He even threw a pass in the Super Bowl. Uh, just that team was just so crazy. And you, you just have to wonder um, that one, they lost that one game in Miami. And if if uh, they could have won that, would they have gone 19-0? and Or or the other way of thinking about it, if Miami didn't lose to New England in the AFC Championship game, maybe uh, Miami beats Chicago in the Super Bowl. So you never know. Yeah, it's kind of crazy that their only game lost was to the only team that <laughs> yeah. had been undefeated yeah. in, the, in the modern era there. Mm-hmm. Um, with that being said, I mean, we're going to put links to your books in the show notes. Are there any parting words of wisdom you want to give to the listeners of the show? Uh, I just suggest that you go back and watch old games and read about old games, read about old decades, because the NFL has kind of forgotten about its history. They had the big NFL 100 thing, but the only players people were talking about were players from the 21st century. The, you know, they, they kind of forgot about their and they, they certainly forgot about anything before the Super Bowl era. And um, that that's kind of sad because there were so many great teams back in the 50s and 60s. And um, so if, if I were to suggest anything, I just say go and read up on history, even watch old games online and, and um Immerse yourself in the history of the NFL. There you go. His suggestion. Immerse yourself in the history of the NFL. Hmm. I wonder how you can do that or where you could come up with some content to be able to immerse yourself in various ways of the history of the NFL. I'll leave that one to you. But I also do want to give a big thank you to Tommy for riding shotgun in this DeLorean and sharing an overview of football in the 80s. We talked a little bit about the 90s, but mostly focused on his newest book, Great 80s, A Journey Through Another Exciting Decade in Pro Football History. And again, to learn more about Tommy and all of his books, head over to thefootballhistorydude.com, which takes you to my page on the Sports History Network. Also, if you're interested in joining our network, there's many ways you can do so. You can make Sports History Network your home field advantage for your own personal blog. You can start your own podcast. You can even just become affiliated with the network so then you can help promote your show through all of our channels. If you want to do so, visit the contact page on the site. That's, of course, sportshistorynetwork.com slash contact. But for now, dudes, I'm through if you're through. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Football History Dude. To make sure you're the first to get the next episode, please subscribe on your podcast player of choice and head on over to thefootballhistorydude.com for the show notes and more information on the history of the NFL. And remember, dudes, where we're going, we don't need roads. 
Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.